Good evening. It is good to see each of you. If you're visiting with us, thank you so much for being with us. If you will, everybody take a Bible and turn to Genesis, the 37th chapter. Tonight we'll read several verses out of chapters along 37, 38, 39, 40 uh, in there. And we'll just be going back and forth to different verses. And uh, we will not have those verses, uh, the actual text on the screen. We'll have reference to them. And so if you have a Bible, that will help you follow right along with this lesson of a tremendous man as we study Joseph tonight. We are so thrilled to have uh, the Welches and the Mintons and the Tillman families uh, with us as a part of the family. We look forward to worshiping together and serving God together and growing closer to each other and closer to God. Also, uh, we are so thankful to have uh, John Kennedy and his family here today. And John spoke at our foundations, which is our teenage youth training program that uh, will be going on this fall at 4.15 on Sunday afternoons. And he did a tremendous job, and we appreciate so much his sacrifice to come uh, to be here, of his time, and of the tremendous and godly life that he lives. What a blessing he and his family have been to this congregation. Also, we're thankful for John Stallworth and the work that he does leading uh, the Meals on Wheels. Last night, there was a wonderful appreciation dinner to all of you that work in that, and you are greatly appreciated too. And what a blessing it is to have those people in our community uh, that individuals from this congregation can go not only with a, a warm plate, but also with a warm smile that no doubt uh, warms their day. And we appreciate each one of you that take part in that, whether it's cooking or delivering or, or organizing, whatever you do. We appreciate that tremendously, and let's make sure that, that we do that and continue to do all the good that we can do as long as we're on this earth. You remember the game Life? Some of you may still play the game Life. At my house, it was always Monopoly or Life, and how I love to play both of them. You know, it was real neat, especially as a child, to be able to have your own car. That's one of the things that I remember about the game of life. I had my own car. And you spin the little dial a few times, and you move around, and you have career opportunities, and you have to deal with insurance policies and salaries. You have to deal with house mortgages. And it's neat in just a stop or two. You can be married, and the next thing you know, you're having a child. And if you landed on the right place, you could have twins. I noticed that some of you landed on that spot. And so... You know, it was really exciting to play the game. And, of course, with our American, just human, secular spin on it, as so many games like Life and Monopoly, the end is, who has the most money? Well, we see a lot wrong with that game when we think about it from that perspective. In other words, that's not who wins in life, who has the most money. But, you know, tonight we can study a character and we can see a fellow that really won in life. As a matter of fact, when we consider the life of Joseph, he is one of the greatest characters recorded in all of the scriptures. And the reason I feel comfortable saying that is because there are many, many chapters that deal with the life of Joseph, but yet there is no glaring fault or even an instance of sin that is recorded in his life. There's at least one time when that can be somewhat debated with how he dealt with his brothers, but even that is not proven to be a sin in his life. I'm not suggesting to you that Joseph did no sin. Please understand that. I do not think that he was a perfect individual, but he was a great man. He was a man that if we want to think about life lessons, we can learn a lot from this great character of the Old Testament. He was the favored son 
of Jacob because his mother was the favored wife, Rachel, and he was the eldest of her children. Tonight, we will not have time to go into depth in every aspect of his life. So I hope that you either know this story or that this lesson tonight will encourage you to go back this week and read through from Genesis 37 to 50, which is the end of the book of Genesis this week. It's a wonderful read. It reads like a novel. It's an easy read, but yet a very encouraging read that if you and I can learn life's lessons from Joseph, we will be better people this week. I want to challenge you with that statement. Do you care whether or not you're a better person this coming week than what you were last week? I hope you do. And the way I know you as individuals, I believe that you really do try to grow closer to God, that you really do want to serve God more faithfully and magnify God in everything in your life. Tonight, let's look at a few things in the life of Joseph. There are things that if we can instill in our life that will make a tremendous difference. As children, how many times, if you grew up attending Bible class, and I realize not everybody had that blessing in their life, but if you did grow up attending Bible class as a little child, how many times did you color that coat of many colors? I've colored that coat of many a times. And every time I was thrilled with the story that his father loved him so much that he gave him a special coat. But you know, there's a lot more to the story of Joseph than just a coat of many colors. Here are the high points of his life. He was the favored son of Jacob, and because of that, jealousy and envy uh, was a part of the turmoil in the life between him and his brothers, which eventually would cause them to sell him into slavery. The Midianites would buy him and take him down to Egypt, and Potiphar would buy him and advance him finally to being over all of Potiphar's household, but yet then his wife would falsely accuse him, and he would be thrown into prison. From prison, he would be esteemed and promoted all over all that were in the prison. And finally, because of the interpretations of dreams, he would be brought before Pharaoh. And because of his wisdom shown there and his reliance upon God, he would be promoted to second in command over all of Egypt. Now, I need to put all of this in the perspective of we begin reading about Joseph at age 17. And we see that the beginning of the seven years of plenty and then the seven years of famine, that he was about 30 years of age. And so the next time that I believe that everything in life ought to just tick real smoothly and from one day to the next I ought to see the way God is working and it just doesn't work that way. I'm sure that there were many times in Joseph's life where he stopped and would scratch his head and think, God, where are you in all this? Not that he gave up on God, but yet... There had to be different times where he didn't understand why he was landing on that block of the game of life. The block that would have him unfairly thrown into prison. The block that would have him thrown into a pit. The block that would have him slowed into slavery to not see his father for so many years. You know, there's a lot of things in life at the moment we cannot explain. But Joseph helps us learn how to deal even with those moments in life. Life lesson number one from Joseph. Never, never break fellowship with God. Look with me, if you will. In spite of his hateful brothers in the 37th chapter, let's begin reading at verse 5. Now Joseph had a dream, and he told it to his brothers, and they hated him even more. In spite of his brothers that hated him, God was still sending him dreams. Do you see the point here? He had not broken his relationship with God. 
How many times have we heard individuals that said, now I tell you what, I've stopped attending church and I've stopped being what I ought to be. I confess to you, I don't read my Bible anymore, but you just don't understand what I've been through. You don't understand how my family has treated me lately. Or you don't understand how my church family up there has treated me. Friends, it needs to stand out as a strong point that even when people mistreated Joseph, he did not stop his relationship with God. Nothing would tear him away from his God. Notice also in spite of slavery, look at the 39th chapter. And in verse 2, at this point he's now sold into Potiphar's home as a slave. And notice verse 4, so Joseph found favor in his sight and served him. Then he made him overseer of his house and all that he had put under his authority. Back up to verse 2. The Lord was with Joseph, and he was a successful man, and he was in the house of his master in Egypt. What a powerful lesson. He'd been sold into Potiphar's home. Potiphar advanced him. But even throughout all of this, instead of sulking, instead of throwing a pity party, instead of saying, I don't deserve to be a slave here. I haven't done anything wrong. It says that he found favor in God's sight. He would not break his relationship with God. Look at the 39th chapter, verse 21. This is after Potiphar's wife falsely accused him of trying to rape her, which it was just the opposite. He absolutely would not commit adultery with her. And look at verse 21, the 39th chapter, verse 21. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him mercy, and he gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. Now, we're not going to take the time right now to turn over to Psalms, but I need to note something here that makes this verse even more powerful. In Psalms 105, we learned through the psalmist that while he was in prison, that he was in fetters that hurt his feet, and heavy iron. So if my idea is, well, God, he just sent him to prison, but he made everybody around him show so much favor that it was, it was like a federal prison where they have all the luxury. Oh, no. He went there, and he was treated as a criminal. He bore the uncomfort and the pain that went with being that of a criminal. Over time, two-year period of time that he spent there, over time he gained favor with the other people. But notice, even in stocks, unfairly, unjustly, falsely accused, he still did not give up on God. And when we look at the 40th chapter in verse 8, we read about these days in prison, and it says, And they said to him, We each had a dream. This is talking about the butler and the baker. And there is no interpreter of it. So Joseph said to them, Do not interpretations belong to God? Tell them to me, please. You see the point? He's in prison. And what kind of life is he living? He's still with God. He hasn't broken his fellowship with God. Oh, I, I know the one that interprets dreams. It's God. And I'm close to God. Tell me your dream. And God will allow me to interpret that for you. Friends, I talked with a man recently. And in our conversation, I said to him, I said, you know, why don't you find your church home again? Why don't you get back into the Word and reading again? And his answer, and I'm not pointing the finger, it's so easy to, to feel this way. But it's never right. He said, you just don't know what I've been through. 
you don't know how they've treated me. You don't know what has happened. And I tell you, if you'd been through the things I'd been through, you'd pull away from God for a little while too. Friends, to put ourselves upon a pedestal of pride would be wrong. But to have a determination that says, I will not break my fellowship with God, must be at the heart of every Christian. Joseph should stand out as an awesome character in the Scriptures to us, if for no other reason, for this reason alone. It didn't matter what his brothers did. It didn't matter how he was falsely accused. It didn't matter about the, the stocks and the, the chains that held him. He was going to be faithful to God. Let's look at the second thing of the life lessons. Number two, he did have favor with God and man. He had favor with his father. In the 37th chapter, look at verse 3. Uh, I'm sorry, verse... Yeah, verse 3. Now, Israel loved Joseph, that's his father Israel, loved Joseph more than all of his children because he was the son of his old age. Also, he made him a tunic of many colors. Now let's look at the 39th chapter in verse 4. So we see that his father loved him. Now look at the 39th chapter in verse 4. We just read this just a moment ago, giving the setting for this chapter a while ago. But look now at verse 4. So Joseph found favor in his sight, talking about Potiphar. Now let's go to the 39th chapter in verse 21, and let's read about the jail keeper. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him mercy, and he gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison committed to Joseph's hand all the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever they did there, it was his doings. And now let's go over the 41st chapter, and let's read 39 and 40, and notice Pharaoh's favor. In 39, then Pharaoh said to Joseph, 39... This is the 41st chapter, verse 39. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Inasmuch as God has shown you all this, there is no one as discerning and wise as you. You shall be over my house, and all my people will be ruled according to your word. Only in regard to the throne will I be greater than you. Since I was knee high, my father has always said, Son, try to get along with everybody. That was just a common sentence in my years of growing up. Son, try to get along with everybody. I just can't help but wonder if, if Israel didn't say that to Joseph. Because you talk about a man that had learned how to get along with people. And I know he had that period with his brothers there that he didn't get along with them. But remember, if we put it in the context of the story, his father had a whole lot to do with that also. Showing such favoritism through gifts and etc. But dealing with his father, his father loved and appreciated him. When he was sold into slavery... The master loved and appreciated him. When he was thrown into prison, the keeper of the jail ended up promoting him to the highest of those in jail. They loved him. Pharaoh ended up saying, you suggested that we find someone wise to look over this matter? We can't find someone better than you. He found Pharaoh, favor with Pharaoh. I need to keep in mind that he found this favor with each of these individuals, or at least most of these individuals, at times when he was being mistreated in life. 
Now let's start on these toes and let's work our way back. When you are being mistreated at work, do people enjoy your presence? When you have a teacher at school that is unfair, and you have and you will, can that teacher still say they're polite, they're kind, I enjoy having them as a student? If I've got this notion that says if someone is unfair to me, I can act un-Christ-like. Where does that come from? That's not anywhere in the Scriptures. What we read in the Scriptures is long-suffering. When we've been mistreated at work, that is our opportunity to prove our faithfulness in Christ. That's an opportunity to make sure that we go out of our way to turn the other cheek, to return good for evil, and to prove that there is something different about us. It's not because of our own righteousness. It's because of the God that we serve. A third life lesson that we see of Joseph, we see that he was faithful in responsibilities. He was faithful in responsibility to his family. In the 37th chapter in verse 2, we read, this is the history of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was feeding the flock with his brothers, and the lad was with the sons of Bela, the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives, and Joseph brought a bad report of them to his father. We don't know what the bad report was. We do not know what the sons were doing wrong, but we know this, the younger brother wouldn't join in with them. You see, he dealt responsible to his family. He wasn't going to be the reason that his family's name was marred. He realized that a name is worth a great price. And he was going to maintain the dignity and worth of his name. We also see that he was responsible to Potiphar. In the 39th chapter, in verse 8 and 9, so oftentimes when we talk about him avoiding this time of adultery, of fornication with Potiphar's wife, we immediately say he did so because he knew that it was a great wickedness and a sin against God. And that is true. And we'll look at that in just a moment. But that's stepping one step too far if that's where we begin because he gives another reason why he wouldn't do it. In other words, there was two reasons why he would not commit this sin. Look at verse 8 and 9. This is one she is trying to entice him and he says in 8, but he refused and said to his master's wife, look, my master does not know what is with me in the house and he has committed all that he has to my hand. There is no one greater in this house than I, nor has he kept back anything from me but you, because you are his wife. You see, if you were asking Joseph why he didn't commit adultery, he would say there's two reasons why. One, I have a responsibility to my master. He's put everything in my control except for you. I don't have a right by the regulations of this household to do this. Now, we'll look in just a moment at how he also didn't have a right as a child of God to do that. But friends, that shows us his thinking. He took responsibility seriously. We need to take the responsibility in our family seriously. We need to take the responsibility in our workplace seriously. You know, when you talk to individuals that 
owned businesses. They usually will say, as I just heard a man say last week, you know, the hardest thing about having my own business is keeping responsible workers. It ought to be that a child of God is the most responsible worker that there is. Whether it's a teenager or if it's someone reaching the age of retirement, we all ought to be responsible with the task that God has given us. Notice also in the 39th chapter in 22 and 23, we've already read 22 where the jailkeeper put everything in the prison under his command. And then also we see in the 41st chapter in verse 40, we read that just a moment ago, that even Pharaoh put everything under his command. And notice, notice this type of building. In other words, it... The story, it began from a rag to riches, from a pit to palace story. And so we know how it began, but think about this ending. Here he is, he's second in command. He's got the second chariot to ride around. Only Pharaoh has the first chariot. And here's this man that has great responsibility. And you know, a lot of people look at that individual that has great responsibility and they say, I'd like to be him. Well, you know how he got that great responsibility? Some of you already know what I'm about to say. And others of you may have never thought about this before in your life. But we need to learn this life lesson. The individuals that deal great with great responsibility are individuals that sometime in their past decided, I'm going to deal wisely with small responsibility. And I'm going to do it right and greater responsibility will be given to me. And I'm going to be responsible with it and greater responsibility will be given to me. Notice, he was responsible first to his family, to the family name. And from there, God gave him numerous responsibilities that ended up affecting a nation. Friends, I cannot be irresponsible with my family and expect God to grant me greater responsibilities. Read the qualifications of elders. And we see that as a principle for all families. God expects that responsibility of family, uh, that responsibility to begin with families because it affects so many for generations to come. But yet, great things can be done by individuals that believe that what they have the responsibility to do right now, they do it well. Many of you could join me, and I know that our young people here, and we have finest young people in the world, greatly intelligent, but what I'm about to say, most of them cannot identify with. Doesn't it warm your heart when you see a teenager that deals responsibly with a summer job? You know, when you see a teenager that shows up on time, they work hard even when other people are goofing off, they work an honest day's work for an honest day's pay. They don't murmur. They don't complain. They don't expect handouts. And they go home at the end of the day. And there's just all kind of adults that say, Man, that's a fine young lady. That is a great young man. Why? Because responsibility is impressive. They gain people's attention. The same is true even in the work of the church. When you see someone that takes a responsibility in the church and they deal with it with great integrity and perseverance. Oh, I'm not talking about that burst where they're on fire for that particular thing for a short while. I'm talking about those individuals that they're there this month 
and they're there next year. They're doing the work, and they're being responsible, not for their own glory, but for God's glory. Think with me as we see Joseph's life spanning 20 or more years here in the book of Genesis. And as we look at the timeline, it's almost like you could say, hey, just pick out a segment. What do you see Joseph doing? He's being responsible. Well, look at another segment. Here he is in prison. What's he doing? He's being responsible. Wait, wait, wait. Here he is with Pharaoh. What's he doing? He's being responsible. A tremendous life lesson is that of responsibility. Let's look at a fourth one, and that is the fear of God. A tremendous life lesson when we see this young man that the Scriptures tells us in the 39th chapter that he was a young man in the 6th verse. You see at the end of verse 6, it says, Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. If we were putting this in today's language, we'd say he had a good body and he was good looking. That's what it means. He was handsome in form, his stature, the way he was built. He was handsome in appearance. When other people saw him, they immediately thought, that is a good-looking man. Potiphar's wife definitely thought that. But yet, he would not commit sin with her. We've already seen one of the reasons. Let's read the rest of verse 9. We're in the 39th chapter. Let's read the rest of verse 9. How then... Can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? Sexual immorality has been a tremendous temptation for mankind for thousands of years. We can talk about many ways that we could strive to avoid this temptation. It's interesting to me how simple Joseph makes it. I'm not belittling the sin, the tragedy of it, or the great temptation that it can be. I'm simply saying Joseph made it very simple. Joseph looked at what was probably a great temptation to him and said, I fear God more than I fear you. You know, if we think of temptation, and we think of whatever it is that is tempting us on one side of a cage, and we think of ourselves on the other side of that cage, and we think that the only way to go into that act of sin is to pass through that cage, and this is a cage with strong bars, and inside this cage is a lion that hasn't eaten in weeks, and he's growling, and he's hungry. And so we look at that temptation on the other side and we know that to commit that sin, we have to walk through that cage. I would guess every one of us would say, no, I'm not going to walk through that cage to commit that sin. Someone says, why not? Look how good the temptation looks. Someone says, do you realize I would die? I'm not going to do that. Isn't that what sin is? Sin is spiritual death. Joseph, nobody else is at home this day. Perhaps nobody will know. Isn't that how we sometimes define character? Who we are and what we do when no one else knows or sees? Joseph, why don't you go ahead and do it? No. 
It's a sin against God. I'm not going to enter into spiritual death in order to fulfill this temptation. The proverb writer would write of the similar situation. I believe it's in the 8th chapter. And he would say that her way is the way to hell. If I can just stop and consider how serious it is to sin against God, that is a very healthy perspective of sin. Someone says, it sounds like a fire and damnation sermon to me. That's what the Scriptures teach us. If I'm going to be balanced in my understanding of God, I've got to see the grace of God and the severity of God in the same scope. I have to understand what sin does and how the grace of God removes me from the guilt of past sin. Let's look at just these next uh, three just by mentioning them. As we see the fifth one here, we see that Joseph had a forgiving nature. You know, he could have sought vengeance against his brothers when they came searching for that meal, for that bread, for that food that would keep them alive. He could have let them starve to death. He could have done a number of things to them. He could have had them put to death. But instead, he forgave them in the 50th chapter when their father died and he thought, now they're really going to take advantage of them. He emphasized to them again, look how God has worked through all of this. You meant it for evil, but he meant it for good. We also see, as we think about his nature, just that forgiving nature seemed to be shining all the way through. He didn't go from the pit into slavery filled with bitterness and anger that would cause him not to be a good slave. He apparently didn't go into prison with bitterness and anger of being falsely accused. I need to believe this, even though it's hard to believe when I'm the one that is hurting. When someone has truly wronged me, that's the only time that I can forgive them. In other words, I cannot forgive someone that hasn't done anything wrong. So it is always interesting how people will say, I can't forgive them. They hurt me. Well, that's the only people we can forgive. And I need to keep in mind that when I fail to do that, I'm really the only one that is being hurt. I'm hurting myself the most when I fail to do that. The sixth thing that we need to learn a life lesson is that of fortitude. You see a list of things that Joseph went through, and he persevered. He remained faithful in spite of being hated, his brothers being envious toward him, in spite of slavery, temptation, false accusations, prison life, and the ingratitude as he was forgotten for two years in prison. He just kept going. How many loved ones and how many friends do we have that's not here today? And they haven't been here. And if you go and ask them why, They'll have something that won't compare to even one thing on this list. Friends, we cannot accept breaking our fellowship with God. We have to persevere right through it. But finally, the Scriptures tells us that he was filled with the Spirit of God. Let's read 
of Genesis 41 and 38. As we close, Genesis 41 and 38. Pharaoh said to his servants, Can we find such a one as this, a man in whom is the Spirit of God? Pharaoh probably didn't know a lot about God. But he had seen enough of God working in Joseph's life that he believed that he must have had the Spirit of God. Now, how do we show others that God is working in our life? We know in Galatians, the fifth chapter, and we'll give this much greater study in Bible class and in worship in weeks to come, but you remember Galatians 5 speaks of the fruit of the Spirit. It's love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Those are the fruits that just come out of people's lives whenever they're filled with the Spirit. Am I showing those things? A tremendous life lesson. Tonight, we all may be on some different places on the game of life. We may have had some unexpected turns. We may be at a mountaintop experience or we may be down in the valley just surviving. I want to urge you to think about the life lessons of Joseph. And I truly believe that if we remain faithful, it's not that everything that happens on this earth is good, but I believe that all things work together for good for those that love God and are called according to His purpose, Romans 8. I believe that either toward the end of life on this earth or especially a step over into eternity, you and I will be able to look back in our life and we'll be able to see how God was at work throughout all of that. There's no doubt Joseph could look back and see God's hand in the past, where at the present he probably had to do that only by faith. Tonight, let's believe in a God that's bigger than us. A God that sees farther than we see, sees more than we'll ever see, and loves us more than we can imagine. Friends, if you don't have that God as your Savior, as your Heavenly Father, you're missing a valuable life lesson. If you need to be baptized into Christ tonight for the remission of your sins, won't you do that? If you have been baptized into Christ in the past and Something has separated you from God. And tonight you want to get back on the right track. Come back closer to your Father. He is that Father with open arms. He's looking down the path and He's ready to have all of the heavenly hosts rejoice because you come home. Joseph, tremendous man, tremendous life lessons. One of the greatest things that I can do this very moment is to make sure that my life is right with God. Let's all leave here. All leave here right with God. If we can help you in any way, come as we stand, as we sing.